The morning of his coronation, Fire Lord Zuko of the Fire Nation struggled to get himself dressed. If he were to be honest with himself, he was delaying this isolation for as long as he could. He had no desire to be fretted upon by a multitude of servants and assistants trying to get his hair right. He had had just about enough of well-meaning helpers trying to give him tips as to how to hide his scar. He'd been hidden from the light for long enough already. His scar did not shame him the way his father meant it to be. Instead, it became the marker of his honor. He looked at himself at the full-length mirror he was afforded. It was the same room where he had been fitted in the day prior. He sat back down on the chaise lounge and sighed. He reached up to run his fingers through his smooth hair. In just a few minutes, it would be tied all the way back to accommodate his new five-pronged crown. He sighed. <sighs> Might as well get it over with. He muttered to no one but himself. He took the silk robe he'd hung on the back of the chaise lounge and struggled. Anything that involved bending his limbs from the waist up at that point was a struggle, and as he pushed an arm through a sleeve, he made a noise of complaint. Ah! <sighs> Need some help with that? The voice was enough to startle him, and he turned with a jump. He saw her standing by the open doorframe, leaning against a pillar. He straightened at the sight of her, his smile wide and all pain forgotten. Katara, he greeted. She grinned in return, her blue eyes unable to look away from him. Hi, she said approaching him as she helped him with a sleeve on his shoulder. As she did, she kept her head bowed low in her approach. I was wondering when I'd get to see you again, he said. She was standing so close to him now, the air in the space between them as thick and tense as a play. And this was, of course, the final act in this arc of theirs, wasn't it? Theirs were rapidly beating hearts, adrenaline coursing through their veins like lightning. Me too, she agreed, her fingers lingering by where the bandages were. Are you okay? He asked. The thought endeared her. He'd just been struck with lightning. He had nearly died, and yet this was always the question he asked her. She looked up at him and nodded. A little tired, but I'm okay. You? I'm okay, he said. Are you okay? He heard himself just a second later, just a second too late. You just asked me that. Right. He said, cringing. 
He felt as if there were another comet passing through the sky with the way his blood boiled, like there were a thousand burning suns just beneath his skin. Could she feel how he shook? Could she tell the staccato of his breath? Perhaps she did, for though he did not know, she carried the same sentiments in her own heart. They both swallowed, the silence in the air between them ringing in their ears. Every rapid heartbeat sounded like a choir of voices yelling, Just do it! Just do it! Just do it! I didn't think it would be this awkward, he said, barely a muttered whisper. Yeah, she said, daring to take a step closer to him. Has, uh... He tried, licking his lips. His mouth had never felt so dry and yet so moist at the same time. Has your father arrived? He did, yeah. She answered. Oh, uh, okay. His chest felt tight. His toes wanted to curl in on themselves. Electricity buzzed with every fiber of his being that he wondered if he still held some of the lightning he'd taken. So... So... Uh... How are you? Liking the Fire Nation so far? Katara blinked. I mean, Caldera City, because I know Ember Island is, you know, part of the Fire Nation, and we were there for a long time, and... Zuko, she said, cutting him off. Why do you sound so nervous? Uh, I'm, I'm not nervous. He lied. I'm not... Nervous. He tried to deny, but the crack in his voice gave him away. I... I, I just... I don't know. His eyes darted around, nerves building up in the center of him that he felt as if this must be what it's like inside an active volcano, just about ready to erupt. So, instead... He stalled. Oh, thank you, he said, eyes wide. For what? For healing me, he clarified, bringing me back. We're uh, a little past that, Zuko, but <laughs> you're welcome, she said through a voice that wanted to laugh. However much he'd been nervous about seeing him again after everything, he felt it tenfold. What a pair they made. You were the one who gave me the idea, actually. Back at the beach house. That first night, remember? Really? He said, brows furrowed for a moment as if he tried to think about that fateful night. His features relaxed when he remembered, and he gleefully remarked, Oh yeah. Yeah, she said, returning his smile. 
I'm glad I could help. And thank you, actually. For what? She made a face at him, a smug, knowing expression with a smirk on her lips. Amusement danced in the blue of her eyes. You jumped in front of lightning for me. Oh yeah, he said. No embarrassment to him when he confirmed it, no pride. A simple matter of fact. Just a shrug of his shoulders, and Katara could not help but marvel at him. He said, It was no big deal. Reverential did her expression turn. How her eyes shone when she looked at him then because he meant it. He meant it. To him, giving his life for hers was not even a question. There was no doubt, no hesitation, no regret in him. It was instinct. It was easy. It was so easy, in fact, that it was absurd. People run from the things that might cause hurt. It is a person's basic instinct to keep themselves alive. And yet, and yet, and yet. Death would have been preferable to losing her, his action spoke. Her heart heard the declaration and it ached. There were no words to respond to something like that. It never used to be this hard to talk to you. She tried. Her knuckles grazed along the lining of his robes. She looked at her hands then and felt them shake. Why is it so weird now? I, I can't even look at you without... She choked on what she was meant to say next, for she'd made the mistake of looking up at him again, his gold eyes earnest and fixated. Only on her. She swallowed and said, I, I don't know. Why? He asked. What's changed? Nothing. She answered, daring to look up at him. Her every heartbeat sent her body shaking, and she could feel the tremors of the beats to the very tips of her fingers. Nothing has changed. But everything has. Exactly. There used to be a war. Now, if, if we want it, we could have it. He said his hands daring to rise up and take hers. Their touch, electric, but he could not bear to let go. His voice dropped low. She did not know if she could imagine that what she felt was the warmth of his breath on her skin. That gives us something to lose. I can't lose you. Not again. They stayed in that moment frozen and enraptured in the company of each other, and neither knew how to proceed. They were both breathing too hard and not enough. Theirs were hearts in chaos, in conflict with themselves, each of them as nervous, as anxious, and as impatient as the other. Still, they knew not how to proceed. There was no instruction for this, 
There was no one to manage the tale. Theirs was not a story that a single author had crafted where they followed a set narrative now. Theirs was a story that did not abide by anyone else's rules but their own. And yet, what were the rules? They themselves did not know. No one could write the story for them, and so they lingered in this ellipsis of uncertainty, prolonging the inevitable for fear that the reality might not be as good as the dream they dreamt. Every second felt like a lifetime, and this, this, was how a moment went by too fast and at the same time lasted forever. I... He tried to speak. I don't... I, uh... Yeah? She pressed on, hoping it might help. He held both her hands in his grasp, but he broke away first. Oh, uh, I, I have your necklace. He exclaimed. A coward's delay, and the second he did it, he regretted it. He was no coward and he knew it, but it was too late to take it back. He stepped back and reached into his pocket for the necklace that her brother had left on his bedside table just the day before. Sokka gave it to me yesterday. I don't... Uh, I don't really know. I mean, here. He handed it to her and she accepted it for a lack of reaction. He asked, It was your mother's, right? It was, she said. Thank you. She held the pendant in her hands and ran her fingers through the carving. She handed it back to him and asked, Could you? Yeah, of course. He said, taking the necklace back. She turned her back to him and stood still as he moved her long hair to cascade over her right shoulder. Zuko placed the necklace just by her neck and tied it to her. He chuckled to himself, remembering this position between them. Well, this is familiar. No pirates in sight, though. I promise not to tie it to a tree this time. I'll hold you to it, your majesty. He tied a knot by the nape of her neck, securing the necklace. There you go. She turned around again to face him, and she reached up to touch the carving with the tips of her fingers. Katara looked up and into his eyes and spoke carefully. I used it to tie the letter to Appa. What letter? The one I sent to Aang and Iroh, telling them about what happened to you. I didn't know what else to do. Your necklace? He asked, dumbfounded. It could have gotten lost. I know. It was your mother's. I know. Zuko stared at her then, his mouth open. There was so much, too much in that action alone that he could not quite piece it out into words. 
she might as well have punched the air out of his lungs. See what I would risk for you, she might as well have said. See that there is nothing I wouldn't give up for you. Uncle said. He started to say, eyes cast downward as he shifted his weight, resuming where he was stood before he'd been too afraid. Perhaps of the possibility that he'd, just a few seconds ago, still entertained that she might not return his affections. Her actions could not have been louder, and he knew he'd be a fool. No, not just a fool. It'd be an insult not to recognize what she'd risked and what she would still sacrifice to save him. Uncle said we'd, uh, we'd have a, a hard time. He said, reaching for her hand again, and she met him halfway. People might be afraid of you. His thumb grazed the back of her hand while her hands ran against his. Might make some enemies. We already have enemies. We're always going to have enemies. The question is, are you afraid? Of you? Never. Then I don't care. I'm going to be Fire Lord, he said, licking his lips. I know. It's a lot to deal with. Then we'll deal with it. Are you sure? Sure of what? You know. I do know, she said, a certain kind of knowing sparkling in her eyes. Anticipation made her toes want to curl up, and her stomach felt as if it might be turning over on itself. But I want you to say it. His mouth felt so dry, so suddenly. Are you... Do you... I... I, I like you... So much... And it would be complicated, and hard, and difficult, and... Zuko. She cut him off, lips trembling as she grinned. Those all mean the same thing. I just don't want to screw this up. I won't let you. I'm just really nervous. He said... Katara held his hand tighter when he said it. I think I'm going to be sick. Come on. She encouraged. He could see the water shining in her eyes as if she might cry, but she was smiling too. Just keep going. You're doing great. No matter how much his chest ached from his new heart, it was nothing compared to how out of breath he was in this moment. Never had he ever been quite so exhilarated and terrified all at the same time. Do you want to be with me? Maybe? He asked, finally, before he could convince himself to back out of it. Because I, uh... He licked his lips and swallowed nervously. 
I'm pretty sure I'm in love with you, Katara. Her watery smile turned into a tearful grin, the widest he has ever seen it be. Yes. She breathed out. Relief released, an explosion in the very depths of her. The heat rising to the tip of her tongue tasted like finally, finally, finally. And suddenly, she wondered how in the name of all the spirits she'd ever been so anxious, so worried, and so afraid over something that she'd wanted. When she thought she wasn't ready, she knew then that there was no such thing as being ready for something like this. For all the emotions she felt, she saw it reflected in the way he looked at her, and she could only hope he could see it mirrored in her. And he did. Yes, she said again. I want to be with you, Zuko. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, you're worth it. She reached up, her fingers light upon the roughness of the scar on his face. He closed his eyes at her touch and felt her fingers shift, and she cupped his cheek with the palm of her hand. You're worth everything. She paused while he stared, unable to remember every word he's ever known. And I'm pretty sure I'm in love with you too. Really? He whispered. Really? Is it? He started. Is it alright if I kiss you now? A breathy laugh passed her lips, and she thought of a million ways she could have responded. Zuko, I swear if you don't kiss me right now, I'm going to lose my mind. She might have said another life. You'd better, came another imagined response. You have to ask, she might have replied with a snarky, almost sarcastic tone. But such honesty, such honor that he displayed, only deserved the same from her in return. <laughs> Please. She consented, heartily, happily. For all the tension that anxiety could cause, it was to say nothing of the earthquakes made by anticipation. With light, trembling fingers, he brushed some of her hair away from her face. The soft blades of his fingertips barely touching the surface of the skin of her cheek, yet the proximity of his touch was damn near electric. There was hardly anything quite as unnerving, as nerve-wracking as the waiting. Perhaps it was because in the lingering, there was the possibility to improve, perchance to dream. In the mind's imagination, a moment might always be better than the reality that followed, and it was the fear of disappointment that could cause the ache in the anticipation. Zuko and Katara had been two creatures trapped in anticipation's web for too long. And for too long had they been dangling just feet away from the security of solid ground. Floating only felt good when you still knew how to land. Spend enough time in the air, and sooner or later you'll tire of never feeling the weight of safety and of home. 
Stretch as they might to touch the floor, it was the anticipation that kept them from it. They were still children after all, and children had a tendency to make every moment feel as if it might shape the rest of time or shift the course of history. Not all children were right in this regard, of course, but they were. They were. And so it was that when she'd given her yes, Zuko leaned down to her, the barest lift of her chin up by a gesture of his fingers. And when their lips met, there was no raging fire, no all-consuming hurricane. When she reached up to him and their kiss met halfway, the pair of them descended to the gravity of, finally, of homecoming. She sighed against him, every muscle that she'd felt tense in the build relaxed. Nothing could be simpler, nothing could be sweeter, and she smiled as she kissed him, her earlier echoes of heart symphony of finally, 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 ringing as an encore in her ears. Her knees felt weak, and yet that did nothing to dissuade her from lifting herself up to the tips of her toes to reach him better. For Zuko, all memories of pain simply vanished in the lifetime of a kiss. His new heart rejoiced, though rapidly beating still, and he felt as if he might be able to withstand a thousand blasts of lightning for this, for her, always for her. When she tried to lift herself up, her arms around his neck, his hands were by her waist, keeping her steady, keeping her firmly to him. The storms inside them passed, and instead, their skin thrummed as if they could feel the kiss of each molecule of sunlight mingle with theirs, like a fire that burned but did not consume. A lightness of being that they had never felt before. It was almost as if they could feel the turn of the earth itself move beneath their feet, like they could feel every atom of water in their veins and the flow of air in their lungs. Together, joined in something as simple as a kiss, they had never felt more complete. When they parted, their foreheads separated just by a breath, the tips of their noses just barely apart, they grinned in a shared glee. Hi, he said. Breathless, dreamily. Hi, she replied in much of the same way. They stayed in each other's arms and might have found themselves content in the frozen moment if not for the presence that dared to enter at the open door. Nephew, I said Iroh, just about to knock until he saw the scene to which he'd walked into. Oh, he said in realization, and his smile grew. I'll come back later then. Postpone the coronation. Five more minutes? <laughs> That's not necessary, uncle. 
he told him, but never taking his eyes off her. I'll be there in a second. Without having to be told twice, Iroh made his careful, silent exit. Go get your crown, she told him. I'll see you later. Definitely. His new robes felt weird. The very first thing that he thought when he put them on and saw himself in the full-length mirror in his room was that he wished Monk Gyatso could be there to see him. He wished Monk Gyatso was there, period. Yet, it had been a hundred years since he'd last seen his mentor, and there was very little that dreaming could do when there was so much life to look forward to. He waited at his designated spot while Zuko was dressed and prepared for his coronation. By the time the new Fire Lord walked just behind the curtain where a crowd awaited him, there was only the Avatar to receive him first. I can't believe a year ago, my life's purpose was hunting you down. Now? Now we're friends. Aang completed. Yeah, we are friends. I can't believe a year ago I was still frozen in a block of ice. The world's so different now. Zuko reached to put a hand on his shoulder and gripped it firmly. And it's going to be even more different. We'll rebuild it together. In all truth, part of Aang wanted to hate him in this moment. It would be easy to covet to desire for him to fall so that he could get what he wanted. The temptation of trespass always sounded sweeter as it whispered to the darkest parts of even the brightest souls. Yet, Aang's was a purer heart than most, and no matter how much he wished he could detest his friend, he couldn't. And he didn't, despite knowing what he already knew. Aang could only smile up at his friend and delighted in the glow of accomplishment, of pride, of contentment that he radiated. For a young man who had suffered for so long in his life, Aang could not help but be happy for him all the same. Zuko bent to fold his friend into his embrace, and Aang was only too happy to return the gesture. They let go of each other, and, with a breath, Zuko stepped out to greet the waiting crowd. Immediately, there was thunderous applause from the citizens of the Fire Nation, Earth Kingdom, and Water Tribes. Please, the real hero is the Avatar. Aang took his cue to walk next to Zuko, and the crowd cheered for them again. In the crowd, there was Katara, who looked to the two of them with an unspeakable pride in her heart, near bursting for them both. Beside her was her brother and Suki, grinning as widely as they could as they watched. In attendance was also Toph, Haru, Tyro, the Mechanist, and Teo. Even some of the Freedom Fighters were in the crowd, too. 
With a powerful, level voice, Zuko gave his first address. None who heard him that day would have ever thought him as nervous as he felt. Looking upon the young man, anyone would think that he was, simply put, born for this. Today, the war is finally over, he declared to the immediate delight of the audience. I promised my uncle that I would restore the honor of the Fire Nation, and I will. He paused as he took in the eyes of everyone on him. He sought out Katara in the crowd, and she gave a subtle, approving nod. The road ahead of us is challenging. A hundred years of fighting has left the world scarred and divided. But with the Avatar's help, we can get it back on the right path and begin a new era of love and peace. And with that, he knelt before the crowd and bowed his head down low. The High Sage then raised the five-pronged headpiece of the Fire Lord high for all to see and declared him officially. He secured it in Zuko's hair and proclaimed it to be so. All hail Fire Lord Zuko! It had been an interesting few days would be an understatement, for it was on this day that, after a hundred years, that the four nations lived together again in harmony. For everything had changed when the Fire Nation attacked, and the Avatar, finally, was there when the world needed him most. Immediately after his coronation was the ball that celebrated the new Fire Lord and the new era of peace in the world that he had inducted. There was only so much of the crowds that she could take, and given that the one she wanted to talk to the most was then preoccupied with entertaining nobility and politicians and the like, Qatar decided to traipse off to find a bit of peace and quiet away from it all. After all, in the darkness of night, a waterbender could find no better solace than in the open light of the moon. Earlier that evening, Toph told her how she had remodeled the gardens in the royal palace. When asked if Toph had secured permission to do that, Toph told her that nobody dared question her if she didn't. Katara only laughed. Despite being blind, the earthbender had a certain eye for style, for when she managed to get to the gardens, it was a perfect little haven. It was reminiscent of the spirit oasis up at the North Pole. The fact that there was a little pond in the middle there helped as well. It was no wonder that she gravitated to the water and sat by its edge and planted herself along the soft grass, looking up at the light of the moon. She enjoyed the break here in the quiet, breathing in the fresh, open air. Thought I might find you hiding out here, said a voice from behind her. He was almost too predictable. I wasn't hiding, 
she said, not even turning to look at him, but she could tell that he'd made a face at her that challenged her bluff. It was that face of his in her mind's eye that made her turn, and when she did, what she pictured in her head matched the reality exactly. She shrugged her shoulders and added, That much? Zuko approached her then, his arms hidden in the large sleeves of his regalia, and he promptly planted himself beside her, uncaring for the fabric of his robes. After all, neither did she, for she was dressed rather similarly. The fabrics that she and Suki had looked for just the day before at the marketplace were turned into the garments that they were adorned with tonight. The seamstresses at the royal palace should really be commended for their labors. Hers was an outfit of the deepest blue that looked as if she wore the shining starry night sky as a coat. Her thick, long hair flowed freely and cascaded over her shoulders. Where the Fire Lord's headpiece was a five-pronged crown, the headpiece that she'd been given resembled a crescent moon. Turned the other way, it looked like the mark of the brave. Sokka had picked it out for her. I like your robes, he said. He rested his hand just behind her, and she leaned into the support offered by his almost embrace. He leaned to her and kissed her temple. You look beautiful. I don't think I've said that yet. You could stand to say it a bit more often, she teased, grinning at him. Thank you. She added, as she shifted her weight to be nearer him, she was practically resting against his chest. He welcomed her presence there. Katar asked, So how does the new Fire Lord even slip out of his own coronation ball? I bet everyone's dying to talk to you. It was pretty easy, actually. You'd be surprised how many of them are really just waiting for their turn to talk and hear themselves sound important. I wouldn't be surprised, she said, making a face at him as she scrunched her nose and pouted her lips. It was enough to make him laugh. I think my uncle's doing a pretty good job at keeping them entertained. And nobody's killing each other yet, so that's a good sign. He reached up and winced as he scratched his head. The tip of his new headpiece grazed a little too forcefully against the skin of his scalp. She heard him inhale sharply and saw him fiddle with it. Does it hurt? She asked. What, this? He said, pointing to the headpiece. Nah, just takes some getting used to. It's a little tight. I'm not used to seeing all your hair pushed back out of your face like this. Do you not like it? It wasn't a tease. It was a serious question. So serious, in fact, that she gathered from his tone that he would have shaved his head if she asked. And she knew for a fact that he would have. She pressed her lips together in endeared amusement and shook her head. I didn't say that. I'm just not used to it, she teased. It's like back when you were hunting us with your shaved head and wolf tail. It was a phoenix tail, he argued, pink rising to his cheeks almost immediately. And it's what was expected of me, he huffed. She laughed into his chest. Zuko rolled his eyes and moved his arm to wrap around her shoulders, pulling her to him.
Mostly to himself, he grumbled. I'm going to offload that haircut tomorrow. A fair ruling, your majesty. She said, reaching up to kiss him on his unblemished cheek. At the action, she felt him straighten up and her features softened. I'm really proud of you, Zuko. Your speech was incredible. You were born for this. Thanks. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now, though. It's the first day in a hundred years that there's been no war. Officially. He looked toward the sky, not a cloud in sight. And he sighed. I don't know the first thing about being Fire Lord in this new world. I don't know the first thing about being Fire Lord at all. We'll figure it out, she said, taking his hand that was dangling by her shoulder. She cocked her head to the side as she eyed him. Besides, you've got your uncle to help you, right? Yeah, he's sticking around. And I'm still here, aren't I? She said, keeping up her smile. It wasn't difficult when she was around him. He leaned forward to kiss her forehead, and she closed her eyes to the action. I'm still with you. Katara then pushed herself and leaned up to kiss him. He was only too happy to return it. She could feel the curving of his lips against hers. Yeah, you are. He muttered. She did not pull away, and her big, bright blue eyes took all of him in. I'm with you, Fire Lord Zuko. She whispered so that not even the spirits themselves could be privy to this confession. Now these words reserved for him and him alone. Now and always, I swear on your life. I love you, Katara. Now and always. I swear on your life. A disbelieving little smile, all teeth and parted lips. She looked at him with a giddy sort of glee that she could feel tingle all the way down to the tips of her toes. She shook her head, out of breath and speechless. You just had to get it wrong, didn't you? She teased, unable to stop herself from feeling perfectly and incandescently happy. You just had to one-up me. I'll get it right when it matters. He replied with a smirk. Her mouth fully hung open at the boldness of his proclamation. She did not miss the way heat rose to her cheeks at the insinuation, and she couldn't help but notice the same coloring in his cheeks just the same. I'm going to hold you to that. She teased. I'm counting on it. Just because she wanted to, just because she could, Katara pulled him by the front of his regalia and kissed him again. The force of her pull was very nearly enough to have them stumble over, if only the Fire Lord were not a trained elite warrior with truly incredible balance. He was able to keep them from stumbling over by only a hair, only a fraction of a second, and a heap of luck. 
And, in the end, is that not how all of life was lived? They laughed at the stumble as they kissed, unimpeded by things left unsaid, by worries they could not control. For this stolen moment in a remarkable day in this world's history, they lived solely for themselves, for the desire that they craved, that they wanted. And for once, they were allowed to do just that. And by the way, she said as she pulled away, I love you too. She moved to settle against him, her head resting just by the crook betwixt his neck and his shoulder. He wrapped her in his embrace, and her presence anchored him to this calm, to the sense of wanting to simply be. What happens now? He asked. The pair of them looked up to the night sky. Above them, a single star ran across the dark canvas, trailing a single streak of light behind it. She sighed and answered simply. Guess we'll just have to wait and see. This audio adaptation of I'm Still Here was a fan-made 2021 production brought to you by AO3's Ode Better. Directed, produced, and narrated by Joe, with original music by Maxine Vergara. I'm Still Here, the theme song, performed by Maxine Vergara, featuring Johannes Siazon, as written by Joe and Maxine Vergara. Additional musical support from Julia V, Fiona, and Sandra. Additional voices provided by Sandra as Toph, Bear as Ang, Ben McAuliffe as Sokka, Rio Bonalo as Uncle Iroh, AJ as Master Piandao, and brief cameos of Dante Bosco as Prince Zuko, purchased with Cameo. Text adapted from I'm Still Here, a fanfiction based on Avatar The Last Airbender, written by Ode Better as found on Archive of Our Own. No copyright infringement intended. Cover art provided by Serena at Sarah.Tonins on Instagram and trailer art provided by Fiona of at Feeblings on Instagram and Twitter. Additional support provided by Louise Cramp, Bear, Jazz, and Rue. With special thanks to Haley Wong. With royalty-free sound effects from Artlist.io or personally recorded sound bites in studio. This personal fan project is not endorsed or affiliated with any of the official cast or crew of Avatar The Last Airbender, Avatar Studios, Nickelodeon Studios, Michael DiMartino, or Brian Konietzko. No part of this recording may be copied, played for an audience without the written permission of Joe or Maxine Vergara, or at all used for commercial, for-profit purposes. If you enjoyed this adaptation, Please leave a comment in the AO3 link provided in the description 
or tweet us using the hashtag ZutaraISH. We'd love to know what you thought of this production. Thank you for listening. for a special message from Dante Bosco. Okay, Jonah, good luck with the project. Sutara forever.